0: Like no business, I know. From the beautifully restored Brownwood Lyric Theater in revitalized downtown Brownwood, it's waxing lyrically. Missed it by that much. There's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. The podcast devoted to and hosted by our own lyric theater players. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You to. want answers? I want the truth! And here's your host for today, Chris Henry. Let's go on with the show. Well, hello, Larry. Lyric theater fans. This is Chris Henry, and I will be your guest host of this podcast of Waxing Lyrically. Today, I have the honor and pleasure of speaking to one of Brownwood's greats, a man that almost everyone knows in some capacity or another. It's not McLean Stevenson from the sitcom Hello Larry. By the way, if that name rings a bell and you can't place it, McLean Stevenson is more well-known as the character Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake in MASH. No, today's podcast is with our one, the only, Larry Mathis. He is a two-time Brownwood ISD employee and now an employee of the Brownwood ISD Educational Foundation. He's an ordained Baptist minister who now attends a Methodist church. He's on the city council. He's the technical director of Brownwood's Lyric Theater. Let's all say, hello, Larry. Hello, Larry. hello, Larry.
1: Hello, Larry. There we go.
0: Well, now to start off, since this podcast is about Brownwood's Lyric Theater, tell us about your latest project, Get Smart.
1: All right, I'll do that. But can I interject that that beautiful introduction i did not write i didn't have a thing to do with that so i I appreciate the accolades well thank you uh get smart yeah let's talk about get smart we've been without theater for a long time now and i'm so excited to get not only just a play back on stage but to get this particular show on stage and the reason why is twofold one it's a known commodity most people remember vividly Get Smart, uh, when it ran live on you know on television. It's in reruns now and other generations have been able to, to watch Get Smart and become acquainted with it. So it it's just a good choice because it's so funny. And we need comedy right now. We need the opportunity to come to a place And sit back and relax and just enjoy something, whether it makes sense or no sense, uh, you know, just to hoot and holler a little bit and um, just to get all the things going on outside of this uh, building, you know, out of our minds for a while.
0: I couldn't agree more. So. And what's the second reason?
1: Uh, what is the second reason? <laughs> I, I had that second reason right there on the tip. of I, No, I think I combined them into one. The first reason was get smart is well known. And the second reason was uh, we need to, to, to smile and, and laugh a little bit.
0: Well, speaking of Get Smart, we usually do a dramatic reading as part of these podcasts. And I thought we would just start off with doing the dramatic reading first. Oh, okay. uh, Rather than wait till the end. Sure. So you want to... Set up, this is from the script.
1: Yes, this is from the actual script of uh, Get Smart, and obviously we don't want to give a whole lot away. So this is actually at the very beginning of the script. One of the things that the script has that the television series didn't have that I recall is a, a, we call it The Voice. Uh, it kind of sets up what Get Smart's going to be about Uh, Walker Willie, who is uh, on the council with me, is going to be a first-time Lyric Theater participant, and he's going to be The Voice. So excited about having him. Oh, that's
0: great. We love pulling in new people. Oh,
1: yeah, we do. And he's having a good time, I think. But anyway, these are his words of The Voice uh, at the beginning of the show. attention, please. This is Washington, D.C. Somewhere in this city is the central office of an organization known simply as Control. Its exact location is top secret. Its business is counter-espionage. Somewhere on the campus of an important university near Washington, a scientist is about to test a tiny-scale model of a new instrument known as the Enthermo, an instrument so powerful, it may alter the present structure of world power. Such a device, of course, would be a prime target for chaos, the international organization of evil. And then he introduces Maxwell Smart. This man has expert professional knowledge of every deadly weapon. He's adept at karate and jiu He speaks many languages. Above all, he's a master of disguise able to assume a protective coloration for whatever terrain he encounters. In other words, he can melt into any background, go unnoticed as a part of any
0: group. And scene. End scene. Now, to back up just a little bit, tell us, what got you into theater?
1: Interesting story. Uh, I grew up in West Texas, uh, in a little town of Andrews. And a block and a half from us, uh, there was a family uh, who had a son about my age, but had a a daughter that was a little bit older than the rest of the the kids. And she was actually in a play at the high school, at Enders High School. And the title of that play was A Room Full of Roses. And they needed a, a little boy in that play. And of course, I was quite small for my age. I was in the fifth grade, as a matter of fact. And so the director asked the kids in the show, do you know of anyone that might be able to? And so they just came over to my parents' house one night and said, would your son like to be in this play at the high school? And I said, of course he would. And so I was. And that kind of opened the door for me. I really had a tremendous time uh, as a fifth grader being in that show.
0: And do you remember any lines? Did you have any Oh, uh, I did
1: have some lines, and goodness, no. I'm, I'm surprised I even remember the title of the play, because that's been, well, shall we say, a long time ago. <laughs>
0: uh, so tell us um, about your education and how you got into teaching theater.
1: Well, uh, that director who allowed me to be in that show when I was in, in the fifth grade was also the director by the time I got to the high school. And, and he was he um, he was he was incredible, just absolutely incredible. He was a World War II veteran, and uh, he was just an amazing man. I left Andrews High School having participated in both speech, debate, and theater. And I knew then that that's what I wanted to do. There was no question in my mind that I wanted to teach like he had. And so I, I went to Angelo State University. My scholarship was actually in debate, but... Back during that time period, most teachers at schools 3A and below or 4A and below at that time taught everything. And so you got sort of a combined degree in speech, theater, and debate. So what that meant was you couldn't be as active in any one of the three as you might if you were just majoring in that one. So I would travel on the weekends to debate tournaments uh, during the week, go to rehearsals for a show. And so on and so forth, so it was it was extraordinarily busy time, to say the very least.
0: you really lived your dream then oh i did twenty four seven yeah-'
1: tr- <laughs> very much so, very much so but i loved loved absolutely every minute of it.
0: You mentioned to me that um you had considered a scholarship at our local university, Howard Payne. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that's interesting. I had three
1: scholarship offers, and one of them was at Howard Payne. I had no idea where Brownwood was. Had no idea that Howard Payne existed, to be honest with you. So my dad and I actually drove to Brownwood uh, and spent the night in the old Sid Rich dormitory, which is the vacant hotel now. And uh, there was a man uh, here. At Howard Payne on a traveling professor kind of deal, Sir Alex Reeves. And I say Sir Alex Reeves because he had been knighted by the, the Queen of England. Wow. Because uh, he was the theater guy in England. And he was at Howard Payne. And he was going to do Shakespeare's A Midnight Summer's Dream in England in Western attire. He was going to turn it into a Cowboys type show. And he happened to judge me when I was a senior in one-act play out in West Texas and he offered me he gave me best actor at district and he offered me the opportunity to come to Higher Payne. So we came down here and visited with him and some other people in the department and I was going to take that offer. I and I was excited about going overseas. I had never done that obviously. But then Angelo State made me a debate offer, a scholarship offer that was even it was better than the one that I was getting at Higher Payne so I ultimately ended up at Angelo State on a debate scholarship.
0: And then after after you finished your um, college degree, was your first job with Brownwood ISD? It,
1: well, y- yes. It Actually, uh, it's, that's kind of a, it's an interesting story, too. Uh, Terry and I, my wife,
0: uh,
1: I graduated from college one week, and we got married the next. And one of the things that we had to do was know that she had three years left of college. So we had to apply for jobs for me in a community that had a university, and so I actually had already signed a contract with a little bitty town right outside of San Angelo called Eola, mm-hmm. and I was going to be like head tennis coach, assistant football coach, teach accounting, which I had never had an accounting class in my life. I was taking one during the summer, and I don't know what all else, plus direct one I play, and I had signed the c- contract; was committed. But then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I get a call from Slim Warren over at Brownwood, who was the principal at the time. And so I I just thought, well, I I at least need to go do the interview process at a larger school. So I did that, and uh, he offered me the job, and I'd explain to him the situation at EOLA. And he said, let me make some phone calls. And so he made some phone calls to EOLA and Miraculously, they let me out of that contract so that I could come to Brownwood. So my wife then uh, is a Howard Payne alum.
0: And how many years did you work for Brownwood ISD?
1: I arrived in the fall of '74, and then I worked uh, until '78, halfway through the year. So it'd be four and a half years. Okay. So. And then what happened? Well, and then what happened was the reason I left is at that time, uh, my first teaching contract was $8,000. And you could probably, you know, a lot of us remember those days. There was a superintendent who had retired and lived in Brownwood. His name was Dayton Walston. And Dayton was the district manager for World Book Encyclopedia. And a lot of teachers sell World Book during the summertime. As a, and so he invited me to do that. And I said, well, I'll try it. And I did. Uh, sold it during the summertime. And I ended up making as much money selling world book (laughs) as I was teaching over the summer. And I thought this pretty good deal. So, There was a new program coming on at World Book called the Management Development Program, and I got I was able to get into that program. It guaranteed you twenty two thousand dollars. Now, from eight to twenty two was pretty significant for sure. So so I did that and managed to get three or four promotions. I finally ended up in Austin as the division manager, which I covered a lot of territory, All, all of Austin area, all the way down to College Station area, all of that, all the way back down to Abilene lot of employees and that sort of thing. But ironically, in 88, I knew that the printed encyclopedia was in danger because of the computer. It was getting to the point where it was going to be a household item. It was cheap enough for people to buy. So I just uh, made the decision that, you know what, I've done well. I'll take my 401k and run. And I did. And it just so happened, as coincidence might have it, Brownwood was looking for a theater director again. Uh, I think they had had a theater director every year since I had left. And so I came back, did the interview, and, of course, got the job. And the rest is history, as they say. stayed until I retired in 2014. So 30 years total.
0: Have you had any former students who have been, who were outstanding or maybe even perhaps famous?
1: Well, uh, to a degree, I suppose you might say that. Um, Had a little girl back in the 80s, uh, late 80s, named Carissa, and I'll think of her last name in just a moment. Uh, She was in multiple episodes of uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh. And so she she made a living doing those kind of roles in various and a sundry shows. Uh, then I had a young man who, um, gosh, I can see his bio. It's in my file folder. Anyway, he, he made his living in commercials. Larry was his first name. How can I forget that? That's my name. And then I had a young man, uh, Blake Smith, who is still in the business. Uh, he is a producer. Uh, he's worked with such f- famous people as... Um, Uh, Brockenheimer, uh, I think he's done some work with with other famous directors as well, but he's, he's been in it a long time.
0: So what would you say your biggest accomplishment with Brownwood ISD is?
1: Oh my, having the auditor, I've worked there.
0: Okay. And building a theater program that is very very alive.
1: Yeah. Building a a theater program. And, you know, and the, the irony of that is debate really was my forte. Now, that said, we we had an incredibly strong debate program as well. Uh, In fact, I think it was like 23 or 24 years in a row that we went to state and debate.
0: So you've also been a judge of high school one-act play and debate competitions for many years.
1: Yes, for a long Um, time.
0: What does that involve?
1: In the debate part of it, there are tournaments almost on a weekly basis. And it simply involves going to those tournaments and judging whatever it is they ask you to judge. It may be prose or poetry or debate or whatever the event might be. Judging for one act is a little more difficult. You have to be certified to do that. And um, you kind of start out slowly, although that being said, the the most contest you can judge in a year is six. And I thought, well, my first year after I was certified, I thought I'll be lucky to get one. Well, I ended up with six. And I actually had six every single year.
0: Can you recall any odd or provocative or mishap moments uh, that are memorable with either debate or one act?
1: I can. Um, With one act, we were at area contest one year in, and this is, I believe, in the early 90s at Fort Worth Boswell High School. And we were doing a show called Black Elk Speaks. It's a historical drama about a a famous Indian chief named Black Elk. And we were on the side of the stage preparing to go on. Let me just tell you that that's an excruciating time for the kids. They're butterflies, and you know the adrenaline and everything that's is, is hyped up. And you're ready to go, and we were just about to step on the stage. We were about to get permission from the contest manager to step on the stage and start our show when the whole school went dark. They lost power. The wow. whole school. Turns out, it was the whole area, that whole Boswell area, had lost power for whatever reason. And so they said, Okay, we'll get this corrected and, and and they we they made us stay right there where we were. We didn't go back to our dressing room. We stayed right there for one and a half hours. Wow. One and a half hours those kids stayed off stage, nowhere to sit except on the on the floor, not knowing when they were gonna be told that they could perform, and an hour and a half later we performed. But interestingly enough, the kids did great and we, we advanced. We moved on to, to region even after that experience. In debate, <laughs> uh, my son Chase uh, and his debate partner John Ellis, John is, uh, of course, he's gone on to do in, in, incredible, miraculous things, and, and my son's a naval officer. But they were a pair. Let's just say they were a pair, and they were kind of like Dennis the Menace pair. And they almost got thrown out of a tour- tournament one year. And so we had to have a little chat about that so and they were arguing with the judge oh. yeah that's what they were doing so usually not a very that's good not idea a good, not a good thing to do sure uh great kids though really
0: so let's come into the present now you work as, with the Brownwood ISD Educational Foundation. Um, what do you exactly do?
1: Well, I do work with the Education Foundation. Now, it is, it is separate from BISD, but it supports BISD, and that's, that's what we do. We raise money to be able to gift to the school district things that they would not ordinarily be able to do, like uh, we have the, a lot of things that relate to STEM. We have a lot of STEM grants that, that helps out there with the robotic program or the Tinker program or any number of other programs. And then not only that, we provide about $10,000 worth of plaques and things like that to teachers at the end of the year who may be retiring or teacher of the year or whatever. And so we support the teachers in that, in that manner.
0: Now, you're also the in stadium voice of the Brownwood Lions, calling the play by play interactions of our local high school football team for over 20 years. How many years exactly? Well, I was trying to think about that the other day. I think it's 26. Okay. I believe. And can you give us some insight of what that's like?
1: Well, it's fun. It's fun. You have the best seat in the house. For first of all, I mean, you're right there. You know, pretty much on the fifty-yard line, uh, in the press box. The climate doesn't matter to you because you're climate controlled. So it's a great seat to have. But it's fun. Unlike the um, the radio call, like Dallas, Houston, and Carl Wayne and those folks do. All you're supposed to do as a public address announcer is announce basically who carried the ball. Mm-hmm. who made the tackle, what down it is, how much yards they have or need for a first down uh, and so on and so forth. Now technically, UIL rules say that you're not to show any partiality towards either team even if it's, even though we have, you know I do it for the home team. Uh, not supposed to show any more um, excitement for Brownwood than I would any other team. I, I, there are occasions when I do, but not to the extent that I've I've seen a lot of people do and I wonder how they get by with it, but I guess they do.
0: Well, you certainly must be able to think fast on your feet when it comes to that.
1: It is interesting. But I have uh, right next door to me is our clock operators, uh, Jerry Don Gleaton and Larry Williams, and they help me spot, which is a good thing. And that's the hardest thing. When they're calling out a number uh, of the guy that, that made the tackle, it's, it's easy to translate that number into a name. Whereas if I'm trying to, to get it all by myself, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to say the least. So it's teamwork then. Yeah, it is very much teamwork.
0: Well, let's talk about Brownwood High School Stadium, their, their video scoreboard, basically a jumbotron. You were instrumental in programming the board and training all the students and personnel to run it. What all did that entail?
1: Well, yes. Now, we've had two video boards out there. The first one and the original one was on the south end of the stadium, and it was just a video board by itself. It wasn't attached to anything. It was just a literally a video board. The new board is a totally different animal. It does things that the old board could not do. The technology, obviously, has changed. When it first got here, I went to uh, the Fort Worth area and did a full day of training on that board and came back and taught that class a couple of years before I retired.
0: So let's talk about other responsibilities you have. For instance, how many years have you been on city council?
1: I'm in my second term uh, and sixth year on on the council.
0: And are there any outstanding accomplishments or moments that you're particularly proud of?
1: You know, sometimes projects, uh, it's just like with the Education Foundation, we would love to have an endowment right away, a big endowment, like maybe $500,000 or a million, but those things take time. You just don't go up to someone and say, you know, by the way, I need a $500,000 check for an endowment. You have to build relationships and take time. Same thing is true with the council. Some of the, the best things you do on council are things that take a little bit of time. And one of the things that's coming to fruition now very soon is our new event center. And that is going to be a game changer, I think, for the city of Brownwood, much like the Coliseum when it was built but way back, uh, was a game changer for the community in, in, in that time period. The new event center, which is going to be located at the old Timmins building, it's going to be gutted and completely remodeled. The old house house, if you're driven by there, by the way, it's being torn down even as we speak. And it's going to become a staging area for concerts and just about almost anything you can think of. And it's uh, so it's really going to change, I think, the uh, the climate of downtown Brownwood. And so that's something that I'm very proud of.
0: I mentioned that you're an ordained Baptist minister. In fact, you pastored a small church in Goldthwaite for four years, and yet you currently attend a Methodist church. Any comments about your faith or what you feel is your ministry?
1: My ministry, I've always felt, was teaching. You're not in the pulpit like you would be as a pastor, uh, making an appeal every Sunday for someone to make a profession of faith. But what you are doing as an educator is you are displaying your faith on a daily basis. And from that, the kids will learn. And they will come to know what your faith is, not what your denomination is, but what your faith is, and how it plays in your life uh, accepting defeat accepting winning accepting things that just didn't go the way we wanted to or th- you know whatever uh, so I guess it's the old adage action speaks louder than words
0: well I know you've been quite a witness and and you're also known as a family man so how many years have you been married to your wife Terry
1: uh Gosh, I hope she's not listening. Uh, 46 years. Yeah, we're going 46 years.
0: <laughs> oh, great. And where yeah.
1: did you meet? Uh, we met in, in school. I was a senior at Andrews High School and she was a, uh, a sophomore. We met in debate class, actually. And how many kids? We have three. Summer's our oldest. She is, uh, I wish I could tell you her title, but it's so long that I can't repeat it. I don't know it. I just know that she has a very important job at Dell. Okay. In Austin, they live in Round Rock. And basically, what she does, she's a expotentialist or something like that. She she handles several things. Dell is a, is the sponsor of numerous PGA golf tournaments, and she is in charge of all of the the things that go on with that tournament, uh, setting up tents, um, the branding, the logo. I mean, uh, designing the little tea things uh, at the tea box, uh, her and her staff, which is a big, big, big staff, do all of that. Uh, she also, if Dale has a convention or something like that, she'll be involved in that. So anyway, that's, she's our oldest, our, and the two years later we had Chase. Chase has been in the military and uh, is is stationed now at Kings Bay, Georgia, but uh, lives just across the border uh, there in uh, Florida and has done extremely well in the military. Uh, He is a master chief, got his college degree in the military and uh, has only two years left to retire and so when he retires they're actually going to move back down to the austin area as well and then our youngest who was like seven years behind the the other two is a uh, sheriff for uh, for brown county and works as works works with those folks very proud of him
0: you're also the technical director at the lyric Now, I have a quote I'd like to read to you, and I hope you'll tell me what the title technical director means to you. According to the website of the Educational Theater Association, technical directors are, in fact, the backbone of theater. They are the ultimate problem solvers, the essential link between what directors and designers see in their heads and the physical expression of those visions. TDs, as they're universally known, are responsible for some of the most unglamorous work in the arts, and yet, without them, little of the spectacle that today's theater goers have come to expect would not be possible at all. Every theater has one, or someone who does the work, no matter what their title is, and each faces a unique set of challenges.
1: That is a very good definition. I will tell you though that for me, technical director has changed over the years. Uh, when I first began doing this for the lyric in two thousand and four, which has been a few years back that 's a pretty good description of what I did, and the only assistance that I had at that time was uh, interns during the during the summer. But all other times, it was kind of just me and the ghost, you know, here at the theater. As I grew older, <laughs> doing that became just an impossibility. Uh, and that's when um, folks who listened to Waxing Lyrically several weeks ago, well, yeah, several weeks ago now, would know, um, had a couple of guys, Jimmy Henry and Randy Arkey, come in and get really involved and very engaged. Uh, and they've taken over pretty much... A large, now I still, I still kind of design the sets and that sort of thing, but not in the same way that I did before because I just kind of roughly design them and tell those guys what to do and they go and do it. And then we will make changes on the fly and add things. And I know they think I'm crazy, but that's all right. I am and I'll admit it. Uh, but yeah, with those, with the half of those two guys, and now we're getting a lot of cast members involved, like we have in this play, for instance, in helping with that. So it's, for me, it's changed a little bit over the years, but I think I have designed and been a part of building probably 97% of the things that have been put onto this lyric stage.
0: Any other accomplishments that not everyone knows about that you'd like to share?
1: Um, I was very blessed when I retired. Uh, the kids through the years that I had threw me a retirement party at the high school, and I think there was like 400 and something in attendance. And then they were also streaming it, and it streamed out to another five or 600, I believe. And Mayor Haynes, who was uh, in numerous musicals that I directed at the high school, proclaimed that day, Larry Mathis Day in, in Brownwood, which was very special and remains very special to me. In addition to that, I received a letter, a personal letter from George W. Bush, commenting on my years of service to Brown ISD, and that's that was very special. And then the UIL has a special award. It's called the Sponsor Award, and I was able to receive that from the University Interscholastic League. It's um, very humbling to be able to, to have gotten that award.
0: Well, now let's steer ourselves back to the lyric. Any shows that you're particularly proud of and why?
1: Oh, gosh, that's that's so almost impossible. I think one of the very first shows that we did, and this one was before the Lyric opened. It was at Howard Payne. Dr. Humphell did Brigadoon. And I thought that set was just really incredible. It was a very special set. Beyond that, I think there's so many sets that were so unique. The Elephant Man set was very unique. Uh, Beverly Hillbilly set was incredibly, just an amazing set. MASH, I, I don't know. There's just so many of them.
0: Any shows or moments that you would consider were a little bit of a train wreck? And if so, why and what happened? Well, the, the, <laughs> the only
1: train wrecks and that I can recall are train wrecks that I caused uh, on stage as an actor. Uh, you know, I found that the older I get, it's the lines become a little bit more difficult, and I'm not sure that any of the actors around me knew if I was going to say say the same lines every night or not. <laughs> so they they were ready for anything I might say or or what I might not say. So <laughs> if it was a train wreck, it was it would be me.
0: So you've been cast as an actor in several shows, as well as directed and helped with the technical direction and that sort of thing. What was a favorite role that you've played?
1: It goes back to Moon Over Buffalo
0: when I played George. Well, I remember that you were in three shows, Love Rides the Rails, Moon Over Buffalo, and Last Night at Ballyhoo and your character became, well, a little tipsy. It was almost like you were being typecast, and yet you don't partake like that. Um, would you give us a little impromptu sample of that type of character? Well,
1: yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll be glad to. And you're right. Uh, that's, that's really kind of interesting that those three shows that I landed as a character that, that does enjoy his libations when I actually am not a, a a I just don't drink at all, and there's just a whole variety of reasons for that. But anyway, so yeah, it was it was kind of interesting to play those characters, and I might say that I, I just you know sometimes things just don't work out the way they are way, way they ought to, you know.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, um, do you have any favorite shows, or or any that you've always wanted to do but haven't had the opportunity?
1: Well, every show that I've done so far that I've directed has been a favorite show. I mean, there are shows that I love. The shows that I still would like to do uh, are You Can't Take It With You, which is an old classic. I would love to do um, uh, Blythe Spirit, which is a fun, fun, funny show. I'm trying to think if there are any dramatic pieces. Uh, that's so strange. When I was at the high school, most of what I did for Contest were dramatic pieces, but since I've been to the Lyric, most of what I've done have been comedy pieces, and I think the reason for that is at the high school level, drama, if you look back, drama traditionally does better than the comedies. Comedies maybe do well at the early levels like district and by district maybe, but then the further you go down the line when you get to the state meet, by the time you get there, it's overwhelmingly the heavier shows that, that are there. Comedies will make it, but it's not as often. Whereas at the Lyric, you know, you, you have a community to think about. You know, what would, what kind of show would this community think about? What, what would they enjoy? What would they like? And for the most part, I think they enjoy coming in and, and laughing and having a good time while they're, they're here. I did direct one very, very serious play, which may be, I think, one of the better shows that the Lyric put on stage, The Elephant Man. But, again, it was not a show that most people were familiar with, and it was very heavy, so our attendance for that wasn't as good as it it is normally for a comedic production.
0: Now, to come full circle, we're getting ready to do Get Smart and get it on the stage. What sort of challenges are you facing with Get Smart?
1: Well, they're huge. They're huge. This is going to be unlike anything we've ever attempted to do. Not because of the show, but because of the environment that we're in. In fact, I've kind of renamed the show uh, Get Smart, the COVID edition. Uh, We have roughly 30 people in this show. Now, imagine trying to stage a show on a very tiny stage with 30 people, although there's very rarely a time when all 30 are on, but there are times when a number of them are on, and do it safely. So that your actors aren't compromised in any way when it comes to social distancing, being up close to another actor where they could be exposed to COVID if that person unknowingly had it. And so it's been a real challenge. So the set that we designed is designed to help in that regard. It puts the actors at a lot of different levels. And you use levels instead of lots of movement to kind of guide the show along. All of the actors will be wearing face shields, which we've kind of used to our advantage. I won't I won't say how because I don't want to spoil it, uh, but we've used to our advantage in the show so that when two actors just absolutely have to get maybe two feet apart from each other, they're protected by shields. And we we do that as little as possible, but at least they are. safeguarded uh, when that does happen. So it's been a huge, huge challenge to block that. It's been different for the actors because they're used to just roaming all over the stage at will, being in big group scenes, so on and so forth. Whereas um, with Get Smart, not so much. But they've adapted to it exceptionally, exceptionally well. And and now I'm, I'm at the point where I can't imagine what it would be like if we weren't doing it this way you know if if we were doing it just as a, as a regular show i think this way in many in many ways is going to make the show funnier i guess time will tell but that's kind of how i, I feel about it i think
0: well i guess our audience'll just have to come see yeah get they'll smart. just have to
1: come figure it, come see smart and uh and it, like i say they're going to enjoy it they're going to have a great time and we have a lot of little you know get smart the television series had a lot of little tricks and uh, a lot of little things that went on and we're going to have a Plenty of those, plenty of those kind of things. And and the combination of people, the actors are amazing. Of course, Smart is uh, Agent uh, 86 and then uh, Agent 99. You know, th- those two uh, played, uh, by the way, 99 played by Kasha Rose and um, 86 played by uh, Ryan Bailey. They're a great combination together. They work great, very, very well together. And then we have the villain, Mr. Big played by Val Nelson, and she, if you've ever seen Val, and she's been in a lot of lyric productions, she is just amazing. She's hysterical. She can be hysterical at times, and then she will be very serious at times. So she plays Mr. Big. So it's just a, a wonderful cast, and we've put a lot of things in it and done a lot of things, made some choices that the audience are going to find very, very funny, I think. Uh, so I'm excited. I can't wait to get this thing on stage.
0: And the dates
1: for the production are? Are November the 6th, 7th, and 8th. That's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll have two shows on Saturday. And uh, I want to encourage everyone to get your tickets as soon as possible because we're not going to be able to see as many over-the-four-run shows uh, as we would if we had a full theater. So it's going to make seats a little more difficult to get. So,
0: audience, I guess you need to just go and get smart. And get those tickets early.
1: So, yep, And that's absolutely. on the
0: website, brownwoodlyrictheater.com. Yeah,
1: brownwoodlyrictheater.com.
0: You know, Larry, you usually end a cast meeting with us all putting our hand in the middle and saying a particular quote. Yeah. So I'd like to end this podcast with that quote with that quote yeah all
1: right Uh, and by the way that quote comes from something i learned in high school and is done at high schools all over this nation it's um, the official motto of the uh, international thespian society the quote is act well your part for there all the honor lies people who know the combination
0: of that safe. Now, I don't know about him, but they haven't yet invented the torture that could drag those numbers from mileage. You're right, Mr. Glee. I remember when I was in Burma during the war. I was captured by the enemy and gave only my name, rank, and serial number in spite of being subjected
1: to the most fiendish torture ever devised by man, the water torture. A drop of water on the forehead every minute for 300 gallons. 300 gallons, Mr. Brown, would you believe it? That's pretty hard to believe. Would you believe a quart? (laughs) uh, What if they came by once a day with a glass of water and an (laughs) eyedropper?
0: Thanks for listening to waxing lyrically sponsored by the one and only Teddy's brew house in downtown Brownwood. If you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would help us out too. This is your announcer, Kurt Schneider inviting you to increase your culture with the lively arts. See you next time.